Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Daily Kofefi. Today is Monday, January 20th. Uh, we're here on Unsafe Space, and I'm joined, as always, by the bad mamma jamma, Carrie Smith. Carrie, say hello. Hi, Carter. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Is it? Uh, it's, it's still morning for me. So. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. It's two minutes afternoon for me. Yeah. Carrie complained that we uh, were supposed to have country music. You know, I'm willing to change the music, <laughs> but I don't know that I'm willing to change it to country music. So I'm gonna find a song for you. I'll make it easy. I'll find it. <laughs> I've been nice to people. I've been like limiting the amount of music that they have to listen to uh, for the whole music. We'll find something. By the way, there was a pool carry about how late you're going to be. I imagine most people lost because you're pretty much on time today. I was on time. People can go f yourself. <laughs> I'm kidding. <Yeah. laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, how was how your weekend, Carter? We haven't talked. No, you we went off talked. grid again, kind of. I mean, not, not completely. I was just uh, doing stuff around the house, fixing a car and doing some other stuff. Uh, um, yeah, my weekend was good, Carrie. Productive. Nothing exciting. Um, I did not change the music for Kofefi, but... Uh, generally, generally productive. You? Oh my gosh, Taya Peters suggests Cotton Eye Joe no, for our song. No, Taya. Yes, yes. No, Taya. No, it's not. Go- <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe is not going on. I love Cotton Eye. Cotton Eye Joe. Okay, uh, mine was good. I realized after the fact that I forgot to mention on Friday Live Kofefi that it was Betty White's birthday. Betty White being uh, Rose. In Golden Girls, now that Carter's a Golden Girls fan, I'm going to start bringing up trivia like this. <laughs> Shaking his head. I watched one episode. Now I'm a fan, I guess. Huh? Right. <laughs> My daughter said, why did you watch? Because she saw it on the Amazon like list of movies watched. <laughs> She's like, why did you watch Golden Girls? I was like, okay. well, I watched one because I wanted to. Carrie said, you know, she wanted, I wanted to see what it was about. She's like, you're not going to watch any more, are you? I was like, no, don't, don't worry. <laughs> No has more. Your daughter, has your daughter watched any? She might enjoy it. <laughs> no, she, she did not. Uh, uh, I'm kind of a. I am kind of a authoritarian when it comes to um, media consumption in the house. So she would not waste her precious, precious video minutes on the Golden Girls. I'm pretty sure. Uh, well, the other birthday to mention was is yesterday was Dolly Parton's birthday. And I don't know what you did to celebrate, but people. <laughs> I got a boob job. Oh, wait, no. I didn't do that. <laughs> no. I went to a Dolly Parton themed birthday party. It was fun. Uh, but the, those two birthdays occur pretty much back to back in there. I don't know. It's two ladies I like a lot. Here's why I like Dolly Parton. And somebody was talking about this with me. Dolly Parton is. It's not just that I like her music and as a child I adored her and I looked up to her and I wanted her to be my mom. And I I love the movie Smoky Mountain Christmas and I used to I was I was obsessed with that movie. But it's also that as a performer and as a person, she has a personality that just she unites people. She brings people together. And especially in these polarized times when musicians and artists seemed a lot of them to be um they're being influenced by this this crazy, you know, authoritarian ideology to kind of, you know, I'm taking a stand and I'm set, you know, they're kind of getting in 
involved in their, uh, a lot of them are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome that we talk about, or, mm-hmm. uh, she's, she's refusing to do that. She's still the same dolly she's always been, which is someone who, she has fans on the left, fans on the right, like, you know, at every type of subculture you could imagine, people love Dolly Parton. She's just got a great personality, and I love that about her. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're just sitting there like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know well, really how to respond to any of that. Well, so. and here's how, you know, that's what we kind of try to do in this podcast. It's like we have fans on the left and the right. We have people who watch and who engage in discussion with one another who disagree in major ways on, on big topics. And so, I don't know. I just admire that in a person when they can do that. And anyway. So there you I go. Just, you know what? Like- it's like it's you're talking about someone I don't just I just don't know anything. I like I could probably like pick her picture out of a lineup, but I don't know anything about her other than that she was like a country singer person, and that's about it. Yeah, country. So. If you were to go to a, a Dolly Parton show, you would see drag queens and conservative evangelicals in the same audience. Like that's how how that's how varied her fan base is. It's pretty cool. So, okay. Alrighty then. Carrie. <laughs> what? Other than Dolly Parton, is there anything in particular you'd like to discuss today? <laughs> You're, I, I'm tempted just to keep talking about things that don't interest you. Yeah, my keep going. I mean, do you have more? My friend made this hat for me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? My friend made this for me for the knitters who are interested. Isn't it cute? I like it. Uh, I don't, what I would like to talk about, I mean, a lot of stuff happened over the weekend that, well, I saw the news article about the, the college that's now paying students to report on their fellow students. Oh, I missed that one. Admitting microaggressions. Well, you go into your topic and I'll find that article and pull it up. My topic? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that we need to go into this in too much detail, but I was kind of paying attention to um, the stuff happening in Virginia. I was just watching some live streams. Fortunately, there's not been uh, any kind of outbreak of violence. A lot of the the people carrying guns to the rally in Virginia are just staying outside of the perimeter. Um, Is that today? And, That's happened today? Yeah, it's today. Um, Alex Jones was there. Um he was. He had a little diagram showing like ninety four percent of the counties have rejected the ninety four percent have rejected the uh, the idea of gun control legislation um, and are, wow. are declaring themselves sanctuary cities. Yep, or counties, I guess. Um, so you know that kind of stuff going on, but you know, fortunately, no violence. Um, I'm watching the reaction uh, on the left, and um, it's you know what's interesting. Uh, on the the reaction on the left is interesting to me because um, their tactic is basically just to try and belittle the people at the rally, which I don't really understand. I guess they think that will work, <laughs> but they're like, some guy had a Barrett, which is a cool fifty cal, like a, a Barrett is. I don't know if anyone's into guns on the show, but it's like a cool fifty cal rifle and. Uh, they they just mocked him and they're like oh like he's just he's compensating for his penis size and oh if he were a real man he'd be in the military which is also funny because the left isn't really into the military either so they're just saying stuff that they hope i don't know if they expect people who carry guns to like 
go home because their feelings are hurt and cry or I don't understand the tactic. I don't think it's particularly convincing. Like, do you convince anyone else doing that? I don't know. No, but that's the same tactic they've been using ever before, before the 2016 election and ever since. And, and that's also, I think part of the reason why people like myself have walked away because it, and they don't care about getting us back. They don't care about the fact that this isn't a winning strategy mocking people like brexit same thing they mocked people they call people names they're insulting uh they claim some sort of intellectual and moral superiority that they haven't earned and that's i don't think it's so much about winning people and swaying people it's almost as if it's almost as if they don't really care about winning and swaying people they just care about i don't know being posers it to people who already agree with them yeah, I'm also wondering if there's like a psychological thing where that kind of stuff might work on them so that they think it's a good tactic. Like maybe they're very insecure about being teased or mocked. And so they're like, well, the way to get me would be to tease and mock me. So that's what I'm going to do. I don't know. Uh, or just virtue signaling to their friends. But um, Carrie, I did want to talk. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, the Virginia demographics because we talked about we talked about the rallies already. We talked about the sanctuary cities. We kind of went into that last week. And um, I just want people to kind of understand what's going on in Virginia, like why the Democrats got in control, how they got in control. And, um, you know, there's some arguments on the right that Virginia elections were purchased by Mike Bloomberg. There's some evidence that that probably impacted the elections. So um, if you look at every town for gun safety is Bloomberg's organization. If you look at the contributions from that organization in this last election, you know, we're you know, a little bit more than a million, one and a half million bucks. That doesn't sound like a lot, but these are state legislature seats. And so um, if you look at like what the total expenditure for running for a lot of state legislature seats is, um, you start to realize that that could potentially have a pretty big impact. I'll put this up here. Um, you know, some of them spend a lot, but on this page, you can look, there's a, there's a whole bunch whose total spending was sub 50 K, right? Even on this, this page here, there's all these are hundred below 106. That's the top, um, amount. Now, of course, there are some people who spend, you know, a million, million bucks to get into office, right? For, for the state legislature. But, um, you know, all those, all those other tempting seats where the spend is really low, uh, a million and a half bucks coming from out of state spread arounds can certainly have a pretty big impact. So that's, I don't want to say that that's not one of the contributing factors because it is, but I think the main factor actually has been a demographic shift. And I want to talk about it because it's one of those things that, um, I am always uncomfortable talking about uh, because the accusations are, uh, immediately are, if you talk about immigration, the accusations are immediately racist. You're racist, you're racist, you're racist. And obviously, Carrie, you and I don't want to be called racist. We're not racist, and we react negatively to being called racist. So I often try and avoid anything that kind of touches on something that would get us called racist other than we do we do mock a lot of the social justice crap um however well, i think it's important to talk about the demographic shift in virginia because there has been a huge demographic 
shift in Virginia. And I figured the best way to do it um, so that arrows can't really be slung at me is uh, this is the New York Times. Now, they wrote that this is an article that was written post the election in 2019. So this is November 2019, but this is after the election. And uh, they are talking about why Virginia went from red to blue, what happened in Virginia. So I'm going to talk about it, but this isn't even my, this isn't my analysis. This is according to the New York Times. Now, I happen to agree with it, but so their argument is that um, the main thing that's changed in Virginia is immigration, that immigrants have come into Virginia and the immigrants tend to be not leaning towards the right. They tend to lean towards the left. Now, this is true for almost every country that immigrates to the U.S. Almost every group of immigrants from almost everywhere, some more than others, uh, are by far lean towards the left when they vote. And if we just think about guns in particular in Virginia, think about um, think about a couple cultural differences between kind of U.S. culture traditionally and cultures around the world. So first of all, we've got a distrust of the government generally in the U.S. that is not shared as part of cultures across the world. Um, and second, we have uh, an appreciation for gun rights. Obviously not all of us, but that's a uniquely American perspective. There's no, you know, you're not going to find immigrants from another country who think that it's normal to have firearms. That's just, they're not. They grew up in a country where it's not normal to have firearms or only the government has firearms. So this is a very uniquely American perspective. And so it's not any surprise that when you get mass immigration from other countries, they vote against gun rights. Now, this is according to the New York Times article. I'm going to quote here. Once the heart of the Confederacy, Virginia is now the land of Indian grocery stores, Korean churches, and Diwali festivals. The state population has boomed up by 38% since 1990, with the biggest growth in densely settled suburban areas like South Riding. One in 10 people eligible to vote in the state were born outside the United States, up from one in 28 in 1990. So there's been a huge demographic shift. Um, people, you know, people eligible to vote have shift, you know, a lot more of them have come from out of the country, they're immigrants. And they cite even this article, they cite gun control. This is prior to this whole rally. This is back in November. They cite guns as one of the issues. They quote a guy named Vijay uh, Katkuri, 38, a software engineer from Southern India, explaining why he voted for the Democratic challenger in the elections. Quote, guns, that's the most pressing issue for me. Well, that's not surprising. The guy grew up in a place where private ownership of guns is prohibited. So he's freaked out by the, by the very liberal, which I'll use in the classic sense of the word, the very liberal gun laws in the state of Virginia. So, um, you know, what we're seeing here is a huge demographic shift. The New York Times talks about this um, breaching the firewalls, breaching the Republicans' firewalls. They're saying that the suburbs are starting to turn blue, and they, they list Atlanta, Denver, Riverside County, California, as other examples outside of Virginia. Um, and again, this is a quote from the New York Times, not me. Quote, the influx of immigrants and their U.S.-born children, the spread of high-density suburbia, and the growth of higher education all tilt the field toward the Democrats. And the New York Times brings up the 1965 Immigration Act, which if you start mentioning, uh, everyone, again, throws you under the bus and calls you racist for bringing up the 1965 Immigration Act, but the New York Times brought it up. They said, 
Around the advent of the modern immigration system in 1965, now they didn't say the act, but that's what they're talking about, foreign-born people made up only about 5% of the American population. Now they're nearly 14%. So I don't want to go into this too much, but I wanted to lay out, Carrie, what's happening because it's important. And um, this is why this is why people care about immigration. It's not, I mean, yes, there's legal immigration and illegal. Both are cared about for different reasons. But immigration generally is cared about not because people are racist, but because when you have something resembling a democracy and you bring people in with radically different ideas, for example, people who could not fathom the idea that you're allowed to walk around with an AR-15 on your back, uh, they will vote to change the culture in a significant way, including violation of the Second Amendment. And as we all know, the Supreme Court doesn't really protect much, so we can violate amendments left and right. If people are voting for them, violation will happen. That's the end of my short rant, Carrie. Okay. Carrie, that's, there's Carrie typing. You don't know when I switched the camera back to you, do you? I just switched no. it back. There you were typing. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know. I just I think it's important for people to understand that. I don't know if you have anything to say. You you don't care. I don't, know. I don't really care. You don't care. I'm kidding. I care about it as much as you did about Dolly. Oh <laughs> Dolly doesn't matter. Yes, Demographic shifts in the U.S. that fundamentally change our culture matter. Dolly also matters. She brings people together. Oh That's the whole point. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to do with her, guys. What to do with you? Give me a second. Um, okay. <laughs> so, I have something. What? Here, I'm I have giving you a second. Say. Well, I can talk no, no, about no. the 1965 Immigration Act if you want me to skirt racism a little bit more. While you're looking up skirt, stuff. Skirt racism? What do you mean? You know, skirt around the edges where we'll get accused of being racist, but we're not. Why? Why would we be accused of being racist? I don't get it. Oh, were you not? You I was listening, but that you doesn't have anything to do with race. You don't notice the left tends to do that? Well, yeah, but I don't get... Well, look, okay. Uh, I don't think we ever had immigration correct in the U.S., so I'm not saying that what we had was good before. But prior to the 1965 Immigration Act, um, we had quotas based on uh, national origin of people. And... Um, there was a, I think there was like a national origin to act. Some of it was overtly racist, like they, like they excluded certain races. That kind of changed, I think, in, um, like, I don't know, in the '40s or maybe the late, maybe the '20s, uh, mid '20s. That changed, um, and they got rid of the racial quotas, but there was still national origin quotas. Um, I'm not saying that national origin quotas are the way to go, but I am saying these. The reason that this matters that that we need to be able to have this difficult conversation about immigration is it's not just about illegal immigration. It's about bringing people in with like very different cultural mores. And I just don't, I don't hear a lot of that talk except from uh, people who are, I'll say actually alt-right who like really don't want anything to change about the U S and they just want kind of like a, a white separatist thing or whatever. Um, I'm not saying that race matters, but I'm saying that 
ideas matter. And if we're bringing in people with very different culture, it's going to have a pretty significant effect. And I think we need to have that conversation. And so I don't know oh, that the, prior to 1965, it was good, but it was better than it is now. But that's why we have a process and it should be, you know, most of the legal immigrants I know know more about our country and our values than people I grew up with do. Well, but it's not I a question do. of knowledge. Huh? It's, it's not a question of knowledge, right? I'm sure no, this Indian dude could outscore you like, on a, you know, knowledge founding and respect of the for US appreciation for. We're talking over each other. Knowledge and respect for and appreciation for. Well, but that's just not true. That, that's just not true. You might know people like that, but that's not mm -hmm. true statistically. They don't have an appreciation for, for example, gun laws. That's just not true. Mm. So how do you do immigration where you test cultural compatibility? I don't know. Right? Immigration can be great for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of great people that come here and immigrate. I'm married to an immigrant, so I get it. There's a lot of great people that come here and we want them here. But uh, how do you test for cultural compatibility? I don't know. Um, but it's certainly not an easy problem and we need to be having the conversation. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because uh, this stuff with like, we've talked about Virginia, you and I talk about Texas. Um, we talked about Colorado the other day. This is not getting better. This isn't a, we're not, this isn't like a, oh, leftism happens to be popular right now and it will subside again. The tides are changing fundamentally in the U.S., be, partly because of immigration. So this isn't like a, well, we can just, you know, fight it in Virginia and it will go back to being a red state. Probably Virginia's done being a red state forever. Right. There may be some pushback and some backsliding a little bit and, you know, get reddish a little bit and go back to blue. But this is a permanent change, likely, likely in other states where there's been massive demographic shifts as well. So. But didn't you just say 96 percent of cities or whatever there did not agree? It was 94 percent. Yeah. But that doesn't matter. The population centers and the the demographics to vote for the Democrats are there. Right. So, you know. And, and it's just going to continue to get worse. I just wanted to press you today. Is that working? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you're asking. Are you asking me a question? Well, I'm just kind of asking. No, I'm not asking you a question. I'm having, I'm trying to have a conversation, but you don't seem engaged in it. So I guess we'll move on to Dolly Parton. I don't know. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> uh, you, next topic. Go ahead. <laughs> I thought you had another one. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't, I, I guess I just, I don't really care about the immigration discussion part of this very much because I think things change, cultures change. Yes. Is there a problem with, uh, I, I think the bigger problem is that we are not encouraging people to assimilate anymore. And we used to, we used to talk about America being a melting pot. We had a culture the ideal was that everyone kind of assimilate. You hold on to certain things from your individual, the culture you came from, you know, like Italians hold on to their own traditions and, and their own culture, but they also assimilate into the greater American culture. And that used to be the goal. And now, now because of this old, this ideology, this SJW belief system, now it's more like, well, hold on to your old culture and don't do anything to assimilate. In fact, it's a bad thing to assimilate. So that's my only thought on it is that 
I mean, everything kind of leads back to, for me, a lot of it leads back to my problems with this belief system. Yeah, I get that. I, I agree with you that there ha- there was a sh- there was a push in the past to assimilate, and there's not anymore. And I think that would certainly mitigate the problem, absolutely. Um, but we're not doing that anymore. Um, although I think also the problem, I think the problem is culture is an overloaded term too, right? There are some things that because you said just a minute ago, you're like, oh well, things change, like so the culture's going to change, and people who push back against cultural changes. Um, or at least push back against the one that I'm pushing back back against specifically, which is the gun culture. Um, people who push back against those, you know, they they wrap everything together in like one big cultural culture's one big thing. It's an overloaded term. So they say, well, if you're against people coming in with different views on guns, um, then you're just against cultural change generally. And that's not true. There's lots of things that I don't care if they change because they're not moral questions. They don't fundamentally matter in terms of the rights of individuals in the U.S. and our ability to continue as a as a society that purportedly respects individual rights. So things that don't matter are like art, food preferences, um, traditions, like all that stuff can change. That's fine. Like we like that. No one like that. People aren't pushing back against. And some people are, I'm sure, but that's not the thing to push back against rationally. What's what you push back against rationally is the idea that. Um, fundamental moral beliefs are different and that includes things like gun rights but it also includes things like how you treat women it includes things like uh innocence until proven guilty it includes um you know it includes uh you know racist views that people might have coming in because there are certainly a lot of cultures with racism so um i think culture is a is a term that's too broad to use because there's there's different aspects of culture. Some matter and some kind of don't matter. Um, and when you push back on the stuff that matters, you get thrown into this bucket of, well, you just, you're just afraid of change. And that's not true, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And Laura Me, Kirkpatrick in chat says, culturally different food is awesome. And I totally agree with Laura Kirkpatrick. <laughs> yes, culturally different food is awesome. <sighs> All right, Carrie, we can switch. Do you want to talk about your bro, your Bernie, your Bernie dude? Sure. We can talk about Bernie. What what gets you excited to talk about? Let's move on. <laughs> I don't care. That's what I'm asking. You want to talk about Bernie? Yes. Okay. Did you see uh did you see the Project Veritas video of Kyle Jurek, the Iowa field organizer for Bernie? Oh yeah. I think this is kind of dumb, honestly. I mean, Project Veritas has done has done a lot of great video stuff. Uh, you know, like the Google one I thought was very important. The hidden camera video of the Google employees, the hidden camera video of the CNN employees. This one is kind of like, so there's a nut job who works for Bernie. I mean, you can find a nut job who works for any politician. I mean, I, I, I'm glad they did it and whatever. And they outed this guy. And, but I don't really think this is that important. That was my take on it. Bernie hasn't fired him though. Do you think that matters? Oh, he hasn't. That's crazy. He should fire him. No. <laughs> no. He's still there. Uh, although I think he's now in jail because he had a DOI after this. But he's was never fired. Are you going to tell people what happened for people who didn't watch it? Sure. Um, Project Veritas. I think everyone knows they do a lot of undercover video stuff. Uh, you know, they found the, the guy who's in charge of the Iowa, the Iowa, I guess, Iowa field organizer was his title. Um. He just got caught on camera saying a lot of things that um, won't shock you if you're used to 
like Antifa speech, but I think would probably shock the mainstream supporters of Bernie. Um, I'll just here just read some quotes. <laughs> Liberals get the effing wall first. So that's actually um, interesting, Carrie. You know how we've talked about the Antifa crowd, like, um, and we've said we've said, hey, this radical left, hey, 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 leftists who are kind of supporting the authoritarian left, you're not going to be saved at the end of the day. You're going to like, you're eventually, you're going to also be uh, <laughs> eliminated when they take over. Yes. This guy kind of says liberals get the effing wall first, right? So he, he hates the liberals oh, yeah. more than the Republicans. Um, they do. Yeah. Uh, the other thing he said, free speech has repercussions. What? Did you say something? Sorry, yeah. I thought you said sorry. Um, free speech has repercussions. These are the consequences for your effing actions. You should expect a violent reaction, and you deserve a violent reaction. So anti-free speech. Um, he was asked, if Trump, if Trump gets elected, what? He said... And the response was, effing cities burn. If Bernie yeah. doesn't get the nomination or goes to a second round of the DNC convention, effing Milwaukee will burn. Milwaukee's where the DNC convention will be. <clears throat> the cops are going to be the ones that are getting effing beaten in Milwaukee. He says, the only thing that fascists understand is violence. So the only way you can confront them is with violence. I don't know. I feel like that probably is fireable. If I were Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised that, I, I mean, I just assumed that guy would have been let go pretty quickly. <laughs> just a good PR move. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. Anyway. Well, this yeah, is your, but, like, Bernie has, you've said that Bernie started to adopt the more radical uh, leftist views and the intersectionality. Um, this is probably why he's getting more people like this on his team, I would imagine. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, he's got an interesting cross-section of people because they're not all like this. Most of the Bernie people I know are not like this. Most of the Bernie people I know were not, they're not down with SJW stuff either, you know? And and then there's like, what was some crazy crossover of like, what was it 12% of Bernie voters voted for Trump? Oh, it was high. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, but yeah. something like that, you know? Uh, people who just saw him as an outsider, and wanted an outsider who who liked him because he's a populist and the, and people who this, some of those people like Trump because he's a populist. I didn't understand that at first. You know, I had a, conser a conservative uncle who told me during the primaries uh, in 2016 that he was either going to vote for Bernie or Trump. That was the first time I ever heard that sentiment from someone. And it shocked me because he's conservative and I had never known him to vote for anyone other than Republicans. And um and then I, after the election results and everything, and as I started to read more, I think I kind of came to understand that. Because I voted for Bernie, and I couldn't imagine my conservative right. Republican uncle voting for him. <laughs> and he may vote for Trump next time. I know you haven't decided, but yeah. like you're okay with that now. Yeah, I'm okay with that now. I, that would have been unimaginable to me in 2016. But now I'm like, depending on who gets the nomination, then yes, that's an option for me. It's on the table you know, for the first time. So I, I could become one of those former Bernie voters who becomes a Trump voter. We'll see. <laughs> well, I don't know if you noticed, but the New York Times uh, broke precedent and uh, endorsed two candidates for president this, this time. Did you see that? Are you kidding me? No. Gosh, they don't even pretend to me anymore. Can you guess? Did they pick Warren? Obviously. Good guess. Okay. 
did they pick Biden or Buttigieg? I want you to think in terms of pure intersectionality. Who would the two have to be if you are purely an intersectional social justice warrior with no care for policies? Who's left? Did they pick Yang? No, he's an Asian man. <laughs> I know, but intersectionality. You said just think in terms of purely intersectional. Yeah. Oh, they. He's a he's Asian. He's still a male. That's that's less important. No, it's not. They check off the male. The Asian thing is like Mm-mm. what no. is? Is there somebody that has two boxes? Because Elizabeth Warren doesn't have the Native American box. She's only got one box. Right. She's, she's only got, got one marginalized box. box. She got the woman thing. So does Klobacher. They Klo- pick Klobacher. Klobacher, whatever her name is. Yeah. Well, just so you know, they don't they don't rank they don't rank uh, gender. I think you have the rankings back. No, they totally the only rank reason... gender. Women is no, higher than no, no. Asian. No, 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 no. It depends. The only reason they're not picking Yang is because he doesn't speak the ideology. If he mm. did, he would be the one. He would be more attracted to them to Klobacher, Klobacher, whatever her name is. Uh, that's not my being my. That's not been my experience or my Asian friends' experience. I don't. I don't think Asian counts anymore. It, it you know, as they as they say in Berkeley, Asian silence is violence. I don't. Asians are getting grouped in with whites now. No, that's only in certain places. He would totally have. It, I, I completely disagree with you on that. But anyway, really, so you think he's only- higher on the oppression hierarchy? I think it depends. Yeah, race. Does, it it just depends on who's speaking the belief system and who's not, though. It's just like I saw in the comments on Twitter a couple days ago, somebody said uh, it was a white woman who was saying white people don't get to have an opinion on racism. And then a black guy disagreed with her and said, as a black man, I disagree with you. That's a pretty racist thing, you know, to say that a person's race determines whether they get to have an opinion or not. Right. And so then the white woman conti- proceeds to uh, disagree with him and tell him why he's wrong. <laughs> 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 Which I was like, this is freaking hilarious because you just said, or this thread was about how white people don't get to have an opinion. But in the second, so you would think you, you follow your own rules, right? Shut up and listen to the black man. But the black man disagrees with you. So then what? Oh, now, now you get to tell him why he's wrong and you do get to have You do get to have an opinion. So the point is, as long as people of color are agreeing with you and are speaking the ideology, then you're going to pretend that all that stuff matters more. Right. Or as long as women are agreeing with you and speaking the ideology, then you can pretend that that's what. Oh, but, but the second they don't agree, like the women's march just happened again a couple days ago. Famously. The Women's March has not allowed pro-life women to be there, right? Like, they're not for women. They claim to speak for women. They're not for women. If you're a woman who disagrees with them, they hate you. They're not for you. So it's at the end of the day, I guess it's all about – they use race and sex and all that stuff, and they they say that it's about that. But only if you speak the ideology. If you don't, then they abandon that. Those are just like – it's almost like – I was thinking about it a little more. It's almost like those things are um, the car in which they are moving the belief. Like the ideology is inside the car, right? They're, the car is race or the car is gender. And they're telling you we're doing this. We're coming in here and this is what we're doing because because of race and because we're we're helping 
people of this particular race, right, or of this particular gender, and that's that's why we're doing this. The second you disagree, it, it's not about race or gender at all. They'll t- it, it, it's just it all falls apart. That's why they have such such vitriol for you know conservatives who are um, who are black or who are women or who are trans or gay or like they hate them. They hate them more yeah, than they. I, I, I think you're yeah. right. I think it's just. Uh... Oddly enough, racism and sexism are the justifications for why they're doing what they're doing. But what they're doing is pushing the radical authoritarian agenda. So first, you got to be the agenda pusher. And then they'll use whatever justifications based on race and sex as they can to make you that that's the reason why you need to be listened to. But you have to first be an agenda pusher. Um, See, Elizabeth says this. So it depends on the context. To answer your question more thoughtfully. Elizabeth says many Asian women were at the front of the SJW knitting assault. They are labeled people of color. And I saw that. Yeah. Some of the worst offenders in right. the SJW knitting wars were Asian women. And they were all about touting their marginalized, oppressed victimhood status. <laughs> They're BIPOC, you know, women of color. And um, it just depends on the context. In the context of... Um, affirmative action and discrimination, like race-based discrimination at colleges, Asian people are getting completely thrown under the bus. But to be a good ally, they're told to ignore that and to speak against, to to try and justify discrimination against a racial category that they belong to. But it's the same way white allies are expected to do that. Right. White allies are expected, right? So, but it but it totally depends on the context. I, you know, I, I do, I do think if Yang were all about his victimhood status and being a man of color and it and speaking the belief system, uh, I think they would like him more than Klobacher, Klobacher, whatever, because they have a they have a special hatred for uh, what they call white feminism. Uh, white women like it's sort of this uh even even the ones who are sjw's it's like this sort of there's this strain of hatred for white women that comes out and and if they had if they had a person of color to put in that list they've already got elizabeth warren that that's that checks the woman box if only yang spoke the belief system then they could have endorsed yang and been like look we endorsed a person of color and a woman (laughs) like yeah you know so (laughs) i have a question then because uh, I, I agree with you. I think it is all about the ideology at the end of the day. And someone in chat said, if Candace Owens ran, she would be a white supremacist, according to them. That's true, yes. right? So, yeah, they would they would endorse the white male if he spoke the, the ideology the best. That would be that would be their endorsement. Um, but uh, this Klobacher, I don't. Does she talk about the? Does she is she an intersectionalist? I haven't heard. I don't honestly. I don't know enough about her. I forgot she was still even running. So. <laughs> <laughs> She must speak the belief system or they wouldn't have. There's no way they would have endorsed her. She must speak it. Um, I, that's just my gut reaction. I don't think they would pick somebody who doesn't speak the speak the ideology. Uh, yeah, somebody asked, I, I want to answer this question. Knit Fragility says, don't they judge, don't they differentiate between lightness? I'm guessing more points for darker people of color. They do. Again, everything they do is so backwards it's so racist it's so it's all the things they claim to be opposing and they and you see it come out when you challenge them and they definitely do especially again it depends on if you disagree with them someone like candace owens who's who has darker skin 
um, they can't use that against her because she has, they can't say, oh, it's because, you know, you're light skinned. But if she were light skinned, you better believe that would be one of the reasons they would say she has the opinions that she does. They, that's everything they look at is like, what race are you? What gender are you? I'm sure you guys in chat have experienced this. If you disagree with them, they look at you and they say, it's like a Venn diagram. It's like, uh, is, is the person disagreeing with you white? Then say it's because they're white. Are they not white? Okay. Are they male? Yes. Then say it's because they're male. <laughs> like they right. just go down the list. Right. They're and, just justification tools. They're yeah. not actual arguments. Yeah. They're not actual arguments. And they would totally use light skinned as a reason to say, well, that's why you agree with the oppressor because, you know, you're light skinned. But one of the biggest questions that stumps them is when they say you're not allowed to have an opinion on racism if you're white, right? Okay. Well, then. Uh, what about a biracial person? Do they get to have 50% of an opinion? Like, uh, is it based on, you know, how dark their skin is? You know, really get into it. Because that's what they're, because they're friggin' racist to say that. And they don't know how to answer that question. And they, they get haughty about it, you know. But it's like, well, that's what you're saying. What about a person who's 25% black? Do they get to have 25% of an opinion? Well, I think <laughs> they use they... the one drop rule, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so racist. Anyway. Uh, well, I I also forgot Club Butcher was running, so uh, I don't blame you for forgetting that she. Yeah, was I mean, who is that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think I think that actually there's been a couple debates that we've missed too. But um, I think Tulsi's gone, right? She did she drop out or she what? I don't think she's gone. Is she? Well, I just she's don't not think on stage in- anymore. I don't think, right? I don't think they're including her in the debates anymore. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh. I, I don't really like her as much like you do, but still. Um, I like her. Well, yeah. look, she, yeah, Nip for Jilly says she's still in. They're just not putting, so that's how that's how biased they are. She didn't call, they, they've done everything they could to take her and Yang out of the knees, which is amazing because remember back when uh, Kamala Harris dropped out and they were all over the media, they were like, this race has become all white people. I'm like, really? Uh, Tulsi and Yang are still in it. It's like they don't even exist. <laughs> right. All these white people I knew were like, all the people of color are gone. No, they're not. You just hate the, t- again, again, as evidence of what we're saying, you hate these two people of color because they don't speak your belief system. So you're going to pretend like they're not even in the race. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, Cory Booker, when he dropped out, I think he said something similar about how, you know, he wanted to, well, before he dropped out, he wanted to stay in so there would still be a person of color in the race. It's like, dude, uh, you're one of three. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he's anyway. the only one that matters, Carrie. What else you got? What else do you want to talk about? Well, we were talking about Virginia and the gun thing, and uh, I just saw this and wanted to make fun of it. But I can't remember on Skype how to share my screen. This I new technology. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so it was... Oh, here we go. Down at the bottom here. Share screen. Look at that. You see this t- You see this tweet? I do not. Oh. Your share screen is failing. Oh, oh well. <laughs> well, um... Oh, there we go. Start sharing. Oh, okay. Uh, something showed up here. Here we go. V-A is in... Oh, this is, is David that, Hogg? Yeah. 
Ah. So David Hogg, the gun kid, the anti-gun kid, VA is in a state of emergency because white supremacists and Nazis are using their Second Amendment rights to shut down the First Amendment rights of students, veterans, and clergy. Nazis Tweet doesn't have video. an apostrophe in it, David. I'm just sorry. <laughs> that's that's the least incorrect thing here. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just thought he was at Harvard and he should know. Um, Tweet out a video with your support for laws that protect kids, not guns, with period hashtag huh? I stand for Virginia. Uh, so v- Virginia is in a state of emergency because white supremacists and Nazis. Now, first of all, that's a lie. They're they're de- he's dehumanizing. You know what Nazis did? They dehumanized people. He's dehumanizing everyone who disagrees with him as white supremacists and Nazis uh, because they're using their Second Amendment rights to shut down the First Amendment. How? They're using guns to... Sh- how are they How are they shutting down your First Amendment rights at all? You're, you're tweeting this. Everyone there is allowed to say what they think about, about all of this. Nobody's First Amendment rights are being shut down. I, there are so many things wrong with this. It just... It just really bothered me. That's all. Yeah, but. they they are um they are carry their the if you read like the media on this they are painting basically any organization involved with this as they're calling them far right extremists. Um, they're calling uh, obviously the VCDL, which is the Virginia I don't know Citizens Defense League or something. Obviously, they get painted with alt right. There's an organization called the Oath Keepers, which is only for people who are I think were um current or former members of military police um first responder types i don't know exactly the rules but uh those um that group is getting called far right um for no apparent reason just because they support i guess the second amendment and um they called uh, you you know we've already the patriot prayer rally people were there um obviously they're called far right far right the proud boys were there obviously their card called far far right um so they just they just tie everything to white supremacy and actually what I've seen now is and we've seen this argument before but what what I've seen from the coverage of this is the narrative is basically a bunch of white people in Virginia are just afraid of everything and afraid of change and that's why they're rallying and um so that's kind of the that's kind of the narrative is that it's just a bunch of af- white people being afraid right um Isn't it it's so arrogant of these people to and I used to be one of them, uh, to just assume that the person who disagrees with you is so dumb <laughs> and so and so uh, fearful of, is so racist or whatever it is you want to put on them that they haven't demonstrated. Uh, it's it's so arrogant and it's so lazy just to do that instead of instead of trying to figure out like why why do they have this opinion? Why do they think it's important? You know what I mean? Yeah. And they never think that they're the ones that are ignorant. They never think, David Hogg doesn't think that he's the one who's ignorant, you know? He never wonders, I don't think. I doubt, no. I doubt he's the type that ever wonders. No, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think he wonders. Um, Catherine Jepson Moore is in chat and she just says, uh, they think you're evil. Like, yeah, that's, because, because basically what they've been told, and this kind of relates to Coddling of the American Mind, which is what, uh, you know, the last book we read, I think, in, in book club, but... They've kind of been told your feelings, uh, your feelings are, are what's important. That's how you get information about reality. So your feelings are uh, um, epistemologically relevant, and um, therefore, 
um, any just anything to justify what you your feel about something is is correct. And so if you feel, you know, if someone is pushing back on you, they're just evil. Like it, it, it also they also view everything in black and white. So um, yeah, you're pushing back on how David Hogg feels about something. It's because you're evil. There's the only there's no um, intellectual humility to actually explore any of the issues and um, and really figure out maybe these people just have a different opinion and and they're not evil, but. He uh, definitely has demonstrated, you know, may, he's young, maybe he'll grow and change, but he, I don't know if you guys remember, but he has demonstrated and shown us his lack of intellectual humility um, back when, before he got into Harvard with a really low SAT score, he tweeted his low SAT score, I guess not realizing that it was pretty low, and... <laughs> And was complaining that he was rejected from a, uh, a bunch of schools that had it, that had rejected him before he became famous. Like they had already made the decision. He found out after, you know. But he was complaining and trying to say that he was rejected from these schools because of his activism. When it was like, dude, those schools probably now that you've become famous and a and a a, a mouthpiece for the ideology. Those schools would probably love to have you if they could go back and change that and accept you. I'm sure they would, you know, and he was he was putting it out there that look at my essay. I, I shouldn't have gotten rejected. It must have been because of my activism. It's like, no, dude, it's because your SAT score sucks. And yeah, you know, I mean, and then, and then Harvard and then what happened? Harvard accepted him after he became a celebrity. Yeah. So anyway, that that guy's already shown us he has no intellectual humility whatsoever. That made me laugh really hard. It's like he got into Harvard with a score way below average. Yeah. So he got into Harvard with a uh, says here a twelve seventy. Oh um, my god. The bottom twenty five percent of students were admitted had admitted had an average average score of fourteen sixty. Um, and just just for the old people here. Uh, 1270, I think you have to deduct a few hundred points off of that because they changed the way they scored the SATs. So yeah. um, it's actually 1270 is lower than you might remember. It might, it's probably equivalent to like a 1070 or when you went to it's, it's low. It's yeah, not when a, we went to school, they, it's the, when you and I were in school taking the SAT, his 1270 is the equivalent of like a 10 something. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's like a 1070 yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Because um, 1270 is not stellar but it's not horrible it's not horrible it's just that it's just that to get into those elite colleges the arrogance and the lack of intellectual humility and saying i should have been admitted look at my score it's like dude (laughs) right yeah i mean people even when i was growing up many decades ago to get into harvard you needed i don't know i mean i think i 1520 i remember as being like someone i know went to harvard with the 1520 so like uh, that was prior to the inflation, <laughs> so I assume it's quite high to get into Harvard. Yeah. Or you could just be an activist. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's even higher if you're Asian. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It is even. It's probably you have to get a perfect score if you're Asian. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, they're you know they're tying this all to they're tying all this crap to white supremacy, and David Hogg is. I, I I really have a I think a lot of people really hate David Hogg and I'm not sure if it's just I, I think it's the I think it's the arrogance I think it's the opportunistic arrogance. But. It's the arrogance and it's uh there's a video online so that those tweets about his SAT score were one of the things that solidified my disdain for him. 
But uh, the other was a clip from a video that he himself released, again, not realizing how bad it made him look. And in the video, oh, God, I wish we could pull this up. Uh, his, his dad is talking to him. And he just completely dismisses. He grabs. He's like, "Give me your phone." And he ta- and he just completely dismisses his dad as if he's some dumb boomer, <laughs> and just completely disrespect. Just the way he, he interacted with his elder, I, I'm like, "Wow, this kid thinks he knows everything," and you know that bothers me probably because I was an arrogant child who thought I knew everything. <laughs> Well, many, many are, understandably, which is right. why we don't usually look to teenagers for policy recommendations, at least not in the past. Uh, yeah. But the left is uh, the left is basically, they have no shame, so uh, if they can use someone like Greta or David Hogg and exploit uh, the suffering of Stoneman Douglas students um, through David Hogg, they will, so... Someone points out in chat, Carrie, um, and I forgot to mention this about the Virginia protests. Um, there are there is one Antifa group that actually is protesting. Also, they want Second Amendment rights. Now, I do support <laughs> Second Amendment rights for everyone. Uh, That's awesome. Not a not a huge fan <laughs> of Antifa, obviously, but um, I also saw a lot of there was a bunch of signs for like uh, gay and trans people supporting gun rights that I saw. Now, maybe this just I don't know how what a bunch is, but I saw some on Twitter of like some gay and trans groups saying like, "Hey, uh, we need firearms." Also, um, so see, you know. that's I think those that's good because um, again, you're you're seeing dissent among the ranks. You're seeing quote unquote marginalized people who are not going along with the ideological stance. The 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 stance the, the the supposedly correct stance that they're supposed to take. And so any kind of dissent like that sort of, I love it. I'm like, you're pushing back, you're making up your own mind and you disagree with what you've been told you're supposed to believe. Um, There is, there are a couple of trans activists uh, who are trans guns rights activists. I used to follow. I don't know if they're still active. I haven't looked at their accounts in a while, but one really great one was uh, named uh, Tranny Oakley. It's a great name. (laughs) Tranny Oakley, nice. yeah, nice media media vlog channel says it's the Richmond Antifa. I think that's right. Um, I had forgotten which one it was, but it was one of the Antifa groups. So, yeah, I don't know. Thankfully, it doesn't look like anything's going on in Virginia. So, uh, I mean, anything bad is going on in Virginia. It seems like it's fine and well, peaceful. Good. So, good. Yeah, I want to show you this uh, piece if we have time. Yeah, let's go see. Ahead. Okay. I feel like this is a totally awkward, weird show today, Carrie. Is it? I don't know. People in chat can tell us. I don't you think that? I it feel is. like it's totally weird and awkward. I don't know why. It's because Carter was being weird earlier. <laughs> I'm, kidding. Uh-huh. I'm kidding. Sure. I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. Okay. Is this the okay? Sheffield students paid to tackle racist language on campus. Yeah, this is something that I saw. Uh, well, Chris, one of our viewers tagged me in this. It was a trigonometry podcast they posted about this. So that's where I saw it. Uh, Sheffield students paid to tackle racist language on campus. Uh, a university is to hire 20 of its own students to challenge language on campus that could be seen as racist. 
So the students are going to be paid nine over nine pounds an hour as, quote, race equality champions, end quote, <laughs> working between two and nine hours a week to tackle, quote, microaggressions. This is one of their buzzwords, by the way, microaggressions. I can't we should have put that in SJW bingo if we didn't. Um, microaggressions, just so you know is I don't care what they say it is. This is how they use it. A microaggression is something that is, they use it in this way, something that's not actually racist or sexist or, or, and with, without the intent to be racist or sexist. Yeah. Feels makes it feels racist and sexist. And so therefore they say it's a microaggression because you may not have been, intended it yeah but that's the way they use it so examples of what they they give in this article it gives examples of what it means by microaggression such as where are you really from uh (laughs) stop making everything a race issue why are you searching for things to be offended about so anyway i just thought this was interesting they're actually paying people to be little snitches now and to go around and correct your they're paying people to do what uh sjw's on uh on instagram were doing well i this is just why you should just this is why i hate college i mean not the only reason but uh man i I don't and i don't have much to say about it i mean obviously they're gonna pay people they're gonna it's they're gonna run around they're gonna look for microaggressions um if the students were smart what they would do is they would buddy with other students and be like, hey, can you commit more microaggressions so we need to do more work and then we need to have a bigger student base. Like, So they would just, you know, it's a, it's a, like a nice little cash cow they can run around making everything. So first of all, they have an incentive to make everything a microaggression, which is an incentive to feel offended about everything. They want their friends to feel offended so they can justify why things are microaggressions. I mean, the whole thing, it's pretty obvious, but I don't know. Yeah, informants. Uh, Jeremy Brumfeld says informants. And yeah, kind of- yeah, they're informants. Um, you know, I. It's like the Stasi, right? There, there's just informants everywhere. I now the question is, like, yes, I'm bothered that they're paying students. Obviously, in this part, by the way, this is part of that diversity. What do, um, what did Walter Williams call it, Carrie? Uh, diversity people budget, something like that, <laughs> right? Yes. This is part of the diversity people. people budget. Like this is your <laughs> tuition and uh, you know, your hard earned cash going to uh pay this kind of crap. So um yeah, this is just an expansion of that. I don't see how it would actually end. Um <laughs> right? Elizabeth, this, Elizabeth you know. says if I had a dollar for every microaggression. Oh wait, you can. That's right. Right. <laughs> exactly, Elizabeth. That's that's how it'll work. That's how it'll work. So, uh, I, I, this is, I'm just so tired of it now. I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't know, Carrie. It's just so tiring. It's like, I, I don't know why to go, uh, I don't, I don't know why go to, go to college if you don't have to, if this is the environment you're in, like go take free classes from MIT professors online and go start a company or do something real. Like I, I don't, I, I can't imagine living in an environment like that. So, but that's, and you that's have to have, I mean, I think the parents who have the best chance of their kids not coming out indoctrinated, they have to have instilled in them some really strong values and some, and some counter programming, some counter, some deprogramming at a early age. 
being cognizant of what their kids were going to be introduced to in college. And a lot of normies who are just going about their everyday lives and working jobs to make ends meet and put their kids, you know, save up enough money to put their kids in college, they haven't been aware of this and they haven't been instilling this counter-programming. And so they're, they're faced with kids who are coming home from school now and speaking all this. I saw a funny comic strip the other day and it was uh, a college kid at the table talking to his parents about, um, you know, in organic chemistry, I learned that society is a, a white supremacist patriarchy. And <laughs> in organic chemistry and his dad, something like that. And his dad's like, aren't you an econ major? Like what? just everything about it was just like, why are you <laughs> learning this in the, and just, but that's what they're coming. That's what they're learning. And it's in every, it's in every field now. It's almost like you can't go there and not come across the belief system. And so, yeah, I don't know. I guess I kind of agree with you. Unless you've built up this, this, unless you've already inoculated your kids, it's very, it would be very scary to me if I were a parent to be sending them to a university unless I had inoculated them already. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, we don't have to make this an episode about not going to university, but the truth is there's not really a lot of reason to go to university anymore. Um, there literally, literally isn't. Uh, so, um, you know, you're just paying through the nose to what have your kids spied on by little Stasi who are getting paid to spot microaggressions. <laughs> like, and you know, and they're yeah. going to come home and at Thanksgiving, they're going to tell you that logic is a tool of the white patriarchy. And like it, they're literally un they're uneducating them. They're not, they're, they're like, they're corrupting their ability to learn and think, uh, which is kind of the opposite of what you would expect from education. So if you're an old person uh, like me uh, and you think college is anything like it was when you went where there's, yeah, yeah, there's some leftists over there on the quad smoking pot, but generally it's, it's still an institution of learning. Um, it's not. It's an institution of destroying uh, your ability to think, especially when it comes to uh, in the humanities in any way. And there's no reason to go. So there you go. You can, I guess you could go, you could learn about microaggressions and they might help you in your first job as a barista. But other than that, I, don't I mean, know. there are so many things you could learn at trade school now and make a killing because there aren't a lot of people like I was, I overheard these ladies having a conversation at the table next to me the other day. And the woman was talking about that. Uh, I guess she does hiring for some company for uh, construction related projects. And she was saying, she was saying, they were, they were talking about this very thing about sending their kids to college or trade school. And she was like, I'm telling you, like the welders I work with can pretty much name their own price. Like the welders are because if yeah. you have to get a good, yeah. Learn how to yeah. fix cars, yeah. learn how to use a lathe, learn how to weld, learn how to do carpentry, learn how to be a plumber, learn to be an electrician. Uh, all those things, by the way, um, some of them are, will become automatized with robots, like an in industrial scales, but for, for like, Going into buildings and doing jobs and, and that kind of stuff, none of it's really near being automatized away. And no one knows how to do that. And, you know, you've got a bunch of you got a bunch of social justice warriors and lawyers and people getting paid to push paper who are literally afraid of what might happen if their bathroom clogs, there's like sink clogs up in the bathroom. So, I mean, I think we have this sort of disdain for a lot of... Uh, actually like manual labor type but they're not just manual like 
if you if you're gonna be if you're gonna be a lathe operator, you're not just a lathe operator. You can metal worker. Like there's a lot of thought that can go in that to designing, creating things. And yes, there's 3D printers, but a lot of stuff can't be printed. And like there's just a lot of work that needs to be done that no one is sending their kids to trade schools anymore. End of my trade school rant. But yeah, yes. I agree. You know what would be a funny sketch? What is? Uh, you know I love zombie books and zombie movies, like post-apocalyptic fiction. If it's yes. a post-apocalyptic, <laughs> a post-apocalyptic world where you know everybody's like living in the gated the community and they've sealed off for protection and everybody's taken on a job, you know, and there's the one guy whose job is just to educate people <laughs> on oppression. There's the SJW and they're like, you have it. We need somebody to dig trenches, like. We're trying to, can you plant corn? What can you do? And the one guy who's just like, I'm here to talk to you about microaggressions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can make sure that there's, uh, that people don't spread their legs too far when they're taking a break. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm here to tell you about systems of oppression. Oh my God. You <laughs> know, Carrie, like, I have a theory. I just, I'm uh, not being a Democrat ever in my yeah. life. I've got a, I've got a question and I'm wondering if this has been true for Democrats generally or... Uh, or if this is a new thing, do you think, um, do you think people on the left just don't have, do you think they just take prosperity for granted? Yes. <laughs> yes. Just generally. I mean, just in general, yes, just they just generally, generally take prosperity for granted. I mean, well, we've talked about this before. I, I think, I suspect this is just a, I, it's not based on any statistics. I don't know. I've, I haven't looked at any any numbers or whatever. But I think that a lot of SJWs have probably not been abroad. And if they have, they've only been to other wealthy Western countries. And they don't really know what they don't really know what the rest of they don't really know what it's like not to be in a place of prosperity. And so all this stuff is super, microaggressions are super important. It's super important to them. It's like, really? This is a, sorry, this is a freaking privileged person's obsession. And yeah, you know. Yeah. And as Laura points out, they seem to have no concept of like money and how economics works. So they seem to think like, oh, we'll change these things about the way society works. And they, uh, it's just, it's, I, I don't want to be derogatory, but like, it's the most moronic view of how the world works. Cause they're like, we'll just change these things and it will only have these immediate consequences. And like, they literally can't see what will happen in the future at all with changing incentives or anything. It's just like, well, this prosperity thing that we're in, like, this is just natural. The natural state of man is that we have Xboxes and Netflix. And like, that's not, that's not how things work but it seems like that's always been the way it is for on the left is from what i can tell yeah yeah they're just not they haven't gone through somebody in chat said microaggressions are for people who haven't experienced macroaggressions i guess so yeah you know i mean i okay i'll i'll humanize this and i'll put i'll put this on me for a second people Humans, you know, we talked about like life is suffering and that the, the idea that life is suffering and that the meaning of life is to find, at least in my opinion, I kind of agree with the idea that the meaning of life is to find purpose that makes the suffering that you're going to experience worth it. And it's not just suffering, but suffering is going to happen. Suffering is inevitable. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something about the 
human human being and our psyche and everything where if we're not facing like really hard circumstances and trials we will we tend we will make things into hard <laughs> into hard uh uh situations and trials like 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 i so we're drama queens basically and like there's yeah. no tiger chasing us so we have to be offended by the guy who spread his legs on the subway yes you will look for those things okay <laughs> and you know in uh like in your personal life if if you're going through you know when people are like oh i had a tough week like i've had a lot of tough weeks and emotionally and psychologically yes they've been very tough but in retrospect I have the privilege of that being the toughest thing I went through that week in some type of, you know, emotional stuff, whatever. It's like, I'm not like having to figure out how to grow these crops or, you know, keep the boil weevil off of my, off of my crops <laughs> or whatever. Like I'm not, I'm not having to, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have the privilege of sitting on my couch and writing sad poetry about, <laughs> you, you're you know, not worried like, about whether or not your kids will survive the winter right yeah. about whether or not my, my kids are going to get scurvy and I, it gives it frees me up to sit there and be like i don't know when this sadness will end <laughs> <laughs> well you know you're like, you're pointing something out that's that i know is true psychologically about humans which is that we level set <laughs> so we get used to whatever circumstances we're in and our our highs and our lows are relative to where what we set as our kind of default and our default changes based on the circumstances we're in. So like if we're living, you know, in really poor circumstances, we might get very ecstatic at something that's, you know, very minor. Um, whereas if you're, you know, living in the relative luxury of the West, the, the thing that gets you very excited has to be, you know, maybe heroin. I don't know what it is. <laughs> or, yeah. Or the thing that gets you upset, you know, if you're if you're in dire circumstances, you know, you need like a child to die or lose a limb to get really upset because things are bad generally and bad things happen and you're used to it, right? But here you just need someone to say a mean word. I don't know. What's going on over there, Carrie? You dealing with dogs? Carrie's going to do her thing now where she leaves to deal with the dog. Yeah, it's the mailman yeah. thing. <sighs> someday, someday we're gonna we'll have a separate studio for Carrie, um, where her dog cannot be in the same room, and when the mailman comes, it won't matter. Or you guys will miss out on the dog then. So if that happens, I don't know. Um, Mead Vlog Channel says atheists won't admit that they benefit from a Christian society, and I think this is related to the conversation Mead, Mead was just having with uh, someone about the Tea Party and Ayn Rand. Um, but as an atheist who was a and an objectivist for many, many years. Um, I agree. Um, it took me a while to understand the value of a Christian society. I'm still an atheist. Uh, but it took me a while to understand the value of a Christian society and that there were truths that were being transmitted culturally that did matter for, for uh, cultural cohesion and societal cohesion and family cohesion um, that were all being transmitted through Christianity. And because I had rejected the, um, uh, the metaphysical message of Christianity, I didn't necessarily need to reject the, the values that were being transmitted, which I view as an atheist as, as sort of uh, a, 
heuristically derived, like evolved set of values that needed some way to tran be transmitted culturally, and Christianity was a good vehicle for transmitting those culturally. So um, I'm 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 there with you, Mead Vlog Channel. Uh, most most atheists won't admit that they benefit from a Christian society. Uh, I do agree, as an atheist. Uh, Laura is asking if you train you train the dog to like the mailman. What about that, Carrie? That's not a bad idea. <laughs> Look, my dog. It lives a pretty privileged, luxurious lifestyle. He needs something to be upset about, <laughs> so it's the mailman. <laughs> yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Is my microphone working? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lindsay, by the way, man, some people like can view right into my psychology and it's kind of creepy. Uh, I'm not used to speaking publicly. This isn't a thing that I ever thought I would do. I prefer to write. Uh, so like standing on video, especially live talking to you guys is not normal for me, but it's especially creepy. Lindsay Peterson like peers directly into my psychology and says, it's okay, Carter. You care more than anyone else watching. And she's totally correct. I'm, I'm like having heart palpitations that you're leaving the camera for a minute to go get the dog and everyone on chat's like, yeah, whatever. And Lindsay picks up on it and she's like, just relax. Thank you, Lindsay. I, I'll relax. Oh, you uh, were? What? <laughs> Carter, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm all like, ah, Carrie's leaving for a second. Uh, <laughs> and I'm trying not to show it though. I'm like, oh, I'll just keep talking about stuff. Uh, can, I, can I tell you something? Cause this is a fun and relaxed and casual confetti, Carter. Okay. Easy. Okay. Uh, this is this is fascinating to me. I took this dog. We went for a walk a few weeks ago. We were downtown having coffee with a friend outside the, this cafe. Lots of people walking by, men, women, all variety of people. Dogs fine, just hanging out, you know, whatever. Down the street, all of a sudden he stands up and starts barking, <laughs> like like he does here. Okay. Barking. I'm, I'm like, what is it? Who's he barking at? Down the street, I see the mailman <laughs> in his mailman hat and his mailman satchel walking. He he picked the mailman out of a crowd. He didn't bark at anyone else. He barked. And I'm like, I didn't even know if it was the same mailman. He just, I, I, I couldn't. I'm like, is it something about the way he's walking, like with purpose, with, with the, the satchel? Because there were other men with satchels. But it, he knew him. It was really freaky. For anybody that's interested in animal psychology and stuff, I thought they might appreciate that story. I've, I've been thinking about it ever since then. <laughs> I don't know anything about that dog psychology. I assume it's because he's attacking, like the mailman's, quote, attacking the house on a daily basis. And so, like, there's a an enemy that's been identified. I don't know. But he could, he could tell that that guy was a mailman. And nobody <laughs> else. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, all right, what else, Carrie? I think I think we can probably call it a probably call it a day. I know you wanted to talk about Dave Chappelle last week, but I kind of feel like it's old now, so maybe we don't have to. But if it makes you happy as an ending to the show, you can talk about Dave Chappelle. Oh well, just that he gave. I thought it was a really great uh, acceptance speech. He won the Mark Mark Twain Prize, and it was it was a pretty good it was a pretty good speech. And I I just like him because he's as we've talked about before. He's a person who um, is just seems to be very honest and just a person searching for truth and trying to make people laugh and um, not give in to uh, this, this my old ideology. He doesn't give two wits about it, it doesn't seem. 
And uh, anyway, it was a good speech. If anybody wants to go watch it, it was pretty funny too. So. All righty. I think we should wrap it up. Uh, unless anyone in chat has anything else that we should talk about, but they're talking about dogs. So I'm just going <laughs> to zone out again. Cause I don't dogs, dogs and like Dolly, Dolly to me guys. I don't care. Um, sorry. Bye fem bags. <sighs> All right. Bye everyone. Um, we will see you tomorrow for Kofefi. Uh, please don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Um, you can go to subscribestar.com and find unsafe space and support us there. You can just like, share, and subscribe our YouTube videos. You can also watch us on BitChute um, because obviously someday we won't be on YouTube. So I think that's it. Anything else, Gary? Any last words? That's all. See you guys February 2nd for Book Club. We're reading Fahrenheit uh, 451. And uh, so you have a little while to get the book and read it. We'll see you then. All righty. Thanks, everyone.